0: Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics, and on this podcast, we have explicit, soulful, and honest conversations about sex, pleasure, joy, and connection. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all of the resources. We have been generating for you since 2006. It is our 15th year in our Pleasure Mechanics uniforms, and we have been generating resources for you to explore your relationship to your body, pleasure, touch, love, sex, arousal, orgasm. Oh, and there's more, but it's all indexed by topic in our sex index, or you can go to pleasuremechanics.com slash free and enroll in our free online course to get started. That's pleasuremechanics.com/free. I am excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about one of those foundational concepts that the more we embrace it, the more we just feel our lives shifting. It's one of those paradigm shifters. Um, and it's something that I realize you know Charlotte has brought to my life in this really huge way over the past 15 years. And certainly being a parent has really deepened our practice in. We're going to be talking about play. Play because sex is for play after all. and so many of us, we take it so seriously, it's become a site of so much struggle and shame. And suffering, but also scripts and shoulds and all of these things that get in our way of being able to enjoy sexuality as a realm of play for us adults. We're going to be talking about the function of play, why we play, but then most importantly, how we play. We've been doing a lot of play research over the past many years and really thinking of it through this lens of How do we take what we know about play and play in humans and bring it back to the erotic realm and open up invitations for us all to get more playful, more creative, more joyful, and ultimately way more invigorated by our eroticism? How's that sound? So delicious. So inviting. And it's so
1: surprising. I feel like the more I've learned about sex over these last many years, there are these few access points that actually open up so much. And play is one of them. I intend to be a student of play for the rest of my life (laughs) based on what I have learned about its significance and importance in opening up our experience of aliveness and connection to one another.
0: So when we talk through this episode, a lot of what we've learned is through the realm of child development psychology, and play theory and play therapy. Um, so we are drawing heavily from those fields, but there's this big disclaimer, we are not child development experts. But I also think it's such an interesting thing that so much of the research around play is about very young children. And then we just kind of stop the conversation. And in fact, in a lot of the research, there's kind of this complication around can adults even play anymore? And so we want to ask ourselves this. Have we lost our ability to play? When did that happen and why? And how do we get it back? Because it is so vital to our human experience. So when we think about play, the biggest definition is play is engaging in any way for pleasure, Play is for pleasure rather than for serious or practical or material gain or purposes. So let's just start there. How much of what you do in your 24-7 is just for pleasure, is just for play? But of course, it's not just about pleasure. It's about these three really important realms of functioning as humans that perhaps we've also lost a little uh, touch with. So play is for social connection, it starts the moment we are born. And it's that relationship between doing something and getting a reaction from the world between your first giggles and smiles up to your caregivers, and they're responding back to you. Play is what teaches us as the Center on Developing Child at Harvard calls supporting responsive relationships. And I wanted to highlight this because the idea of responsiveness. There was
1: early in our relationship, we used to put on um, swim goggles in the middle of an <laughs> argument. We have had not been doing that as much recently. Perhaps I should bring that back. But it really does dissolve. It brings a sense of play into a into a into a conflict.
0: Just think of a well-timed joke in a conversation that's getting a little tense. This is why we have comedians in our tragedies. This is what we call comic relief. That moment of breaking that tension. And this is important as we talk about how play happens in the body. So if we think about these three whys of play, social connection, skills and creativity, and stress relief, and then we think about how play happens in the body. Play is excitement and arousal on top of safety. So what makes something play and not conflict, right? What makes something fun and not stressful is that foundation of social connection and safety. If someone just picks up a ball and throws it at you and you're not expecting it, that is not play. If they pick up that same ball, say, hey, buddy, you get an eye connection and you get a smile and they toss you the ball, all of a sudden you're playing. So we need that foundation of social connection and safety to start to play. Um, But it's really important to remember this as we talk about sexual play and erotic play, and how far we've come from being playful in these realms, a lot of that has to do with how safe we feel. And not just physical safety, emotional safety, social safety, the inner safety from judgment and shaming. All right, let's take a little breath there for a second. The other word to bring in here is context. Just like we've been talking about pleasure and arousal being context dependent, play is context dependent. And so think about where in your life you are safe to play. And for some of us, that is just on our phones. It's like in our most private little realms, we'll play a game and sometimes even feel embarrassed about taking that time. Many of us don't play and we don't play in public, right? In our waiting rooms, we don't have chess boards and balls and play corners for adults we could. Um, And we don't tend to play when we're waiting for the bus when we're, you know, in social spaces, humans are not trained to play with one another, let alone with strangers. So what are the realms of safety where you're allowed to play? And for a lot of us, this is why we do things like sign up for a sports club, or join a team or a club or a group of some sort. And those are really important places to start if you want to start getting more playful of like, Where can you do this in community with other people who like to play like you do? (sighs) All right. So safety is the foundation for play. And we'll remember that as we move into erotic play. And throughout this episode, as much as we're going to talk about forms of erotic play, we also want to invite you into the practices of play. How can you integrate this on all levels of your life, your work, your family, your relationships?
1: So many of us are not used to playing in our life. And so we want to practice playing all through our life in different moments outside of the bedroom and begin to integrate these experiences into our daily life so that we're more skilled at this and then it's easier to transition into our bedroom. We wanna cultivate the practice of play.
0: This comes up a lot in your emails where you say things like, I really wanna get into role playing, but as soon as we're in the moment, I freeze up and feel stuck. Well, it's like, when's the last time you tried on a new role and engaged with fantasy storytelling? If we haven't exercised these muscles for many of us in many decades, it's very hard in the charged heat of the moment sexually to all of a sudden become pros at playing. How do we baby step towards this? So bondage is not the first time we are doing object manipulation and tying knots. So role playing is just one more way we tell stories between the two of us and we exercise that muscle all the time. And in future episodes, I want to talk about how we map some of these skills into just creating the best lives for ourselves through these erotic skill sets of conjuring up possibilities together. So let's get into some types of play. There's so much more we could say about what happens when we stop playing. Because at the very edge of that is psychosis and um, serial killers and you know, like the worst outcomes for humans. When they dig into the research there, many of those humans were denied play. And many of us right now in our lives are feeling the impact of long term denial of our play outlets we haven't been to our social outlets, we haven't been to the clubs, we haven't had those communal sources of joy. And we are aching for it. So maybe as we go through these examples, this is actually a good moment in time to really feel your longings for different kinds of play. Try to remember the kinds of play you did as a kid in each of these categories. And just allow them to filter through you and settle in and discover your way to play because one of the things we talk about is just like some of us love rugby and others love chess some of us love crossword puzzles and other of us love theater there's lots of ways to play erotically and with our bodies and you get to find your way and when you get specific it gets way more satisfying
1: but also notice which kinds of play provoke a little bit of curiosity in you because part of um, stretching our erotic life is finding some edges and then moving into them. So as we go through these lists, definitely notice which ones feel comfortable that you already have some skill around and then which ones feel like you'd be curious to explore a little bit more. Well,
0: you say curious, but there's also the fear or the like, whoop, that's not for me. Um, So aversion is another whole set of information. And fear can also lead to curiosity. Like sometimes things that hold a charge also hold a lot of arousal. And if we get curious about them and find ways to plug in safely, we can tap into that charge. All right, so kinds of play, and these are not a rigid system. These are kind of just ways, categories of thinking about types of play. And you'll notice that a lot of them overlap and we layer them to create complex games. It's very rarely just one type of play in action. So the very first kind of play that develops between humans is attunement play. Attunement play starts at that first gaze when we are infants and we look up at our caregivers, we look out to the world and we say, who is there for me? Because as human infants, we cannot survive alone. And so as much as this is play, it is also survival by belonging. And eye to eye contact and me smiling at you or raising eyebrows and you smiling back at me and raising eyebrows is the foundation of human connection and communication. So we cannot underestimate this. It is so important to our sense of connection. And then notice how much beyond just, hi, you see me and I see you. What can we do with attunement and just a gaze alone? How can you play with a gaze alone? play with the gaze.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We love to play with the gaze. But this shows up in flirting. How can you play more in the realm of flirting with your expression, with your eyes, with small movements as you're looking at one another? It creates such a sense of belonging and connection.
0: So we're just in kind of the facial muscles here. And it's so interesting to explore that with yourself out in the world. When you see a delightful human, can you make a moment of connection and just smile? And especially between lovers, this is a way we can communicate in all sorts of ways at dinner parties, at events, um, looking across the room and raising an eyebrow at a specific moment, because you know what your partner's thinking, you're sharing kind of an inside moment, or just saying like, hey, you, I see you, is such a beautiful way to play in this low grade everyday way. And so when we say foreplay, right? And we should clarify this foreplay. Foreplay mastery is our best selling course. Foreplay is what we are known for at pleasure mechanics. But by foreplay, we do not mean licky, licky, sucky, sucky, so you can have better intercourse. No, we mean how do we bring a sense of play and joy and pleasure to all that we do all day, so that we are warm and it is easier to get hot. So we have that joyful connection that can transfer then into making love. Like, yes more sex and more frequent sex perhaps is part of it but it's really about integrating play and eroticism and pleasure into every facet of your life on your own terms i am digressing attunement play (laughs) how do we come back to this over and over again in our daily lives and just learn to attune together by playing with our gaze and accentuate it and explore it there's so much there to play with and then from our face we then move into our whole body and this category of body and movement play and this is play in motion dancing wrestling embodying different kinds of animals kids are great at this be a frog ribbit ribbit be a bunny what's the difference between a frog and a bunny how do they hop differently um We play a ton of charades, and we actually did this before we were parents, full disclosure. (laughs) Charlotte and I, we started a business three months into dating 15 years ago. We spent a lot of time together, so we've had to learn ways to play. Mm. And one of the ways we really learned to play was charades. Charades is body and movement play. And again, this can be a formal game, right? Like, let's play charades tonight. Or it can just be moments where you move your body in a different way to express something to create a moment of joy and connection to play. It's so stunning to realize how little we do this. And what comes up when we think about moving our bodies playfully, there's the body shame, there's the I don't want to be looked at, there's the I don't want to be evaluated. We didn't cover when is it not play? Mm. That's what we missed in our outline as we were bantering. Um, Mm -hmm. When is it not play? Play is not evaluatory. Play is not scripted. Play is not performance. Play is not fear-based. So we need to remember this when we think about our erotic play. When does it not feel playful and joyful? When we feel evaluated. When are we out of play? When we are following a script and wondering if we're doing it right it just maps so perfectly. This is a really great lens to start freeing ourselves up to be more playful in all realms of our lives. So body and movement play. This is one that for a lot of people takes a lot of restoration. This is where we say dance alone, put on music and start letting your body come into movement. And one of my great loves in life, we used to do ugly dance parties inspired by David Byrne of the Talking Heads, put on a video if you need some inspiration, put on any music video and dance along with it. This is something I do all the time. But we used to have ugly dance parties where the point was to move our bodies in awkward and ugly ways. And it was so freeing as the fat girl still kind of gaining some self-confidence to move my body in ways purposely looking weird, awkward, ugly, uh, and finding the joy and freedom in that, because then nothing's ugly anymore. And when you're having sex, and the thing is like moving in that way, but it feels really good. You're like, yeah, let's just keep doing it because it's joyful, it's playful. And you've kind of brought back the play to movement.
1: Object play is another kind of play. So for kids, this is using any kind of tool and object to play with, um, whether that's a truck or anything. And if you give a
0: kid a bowl and a spoon and it becomes a sailboat, a vessel, a drum, right? Any object can become something else.
1: And of course, in sex, we can think about using sex toys. We can think about using tools and props, any of the tools people use in kink. All of these are object play where we are interacting with this third object and creating an entirely different experience.
0: And just notice there how we problematize the use of sex toys. I get emails almost every day, You know, we're not having the best sex, but my girlfriend wants to use a vibrator or, you know, like, why do we problematize sex toys when we use toys, tools and objects in every other realm of our lives? We have whole stores full of sports equipment to facilitate play. People buy elaborate machines to do video games on. But you bring a vibrator into a bedroom and all of a sudden it says something about your adequacy. So part of reclaiming play is also reclaiming objects and our relationships to them. And that kind of breaks down this idea that great sex is just chemistry between two people. Like that is a myth. Great sex is playfulness with the world around you. And there's a whole realm of pervertibles where a lot of people enjoy perverting everyday objects. So sex toys and tools, pervertibles, kink toys of all kinds, but also costumes and the clothes we wear every day. Many people argue gender itself is a bit of a performance, a costuming. So how do you interact with the objects in your life to cultivate your erotic context is a way of playing with your home. Do you want plants in the room? Do you want beautiful art on the walls? How do you manipulate the world around you playfully to cultivate more pleasure? That's kind of an object play.
1: Hmm. And costumes and clothing, that can take you deeper into exploring these other realms. It can be a way that you deepen in the kind of play, but they in themselves do not create the play. Or it can just be
0: a symbol of the play, right? Mm -hmm. We create, you put on this hat and now you are this person and it can help us step into that role. So as we talk about imaginative play and taking on other roles objects come with us into those fantasy worlds. And so this can take us into some of our next realms of play where we start bringing on the human capacity of imagination and playing make believe, playing pretend. This is such an enormous realm of possibility because the imagination is limitless. So this whole realm of imaginative play, it can be anything from taking that spoon that you use to stir pasta and making it into a paddle, right? That is repurposing an object that counts as using your imagination. Or it can go way out to the realms of creating whole elaborate fantasy worlds and embodying new powers, creating sustained narratives over time. And this is that realm of role playing some people like to play in where I can become a different person just for a little while. And I'm going to do things and act in ways that I normally wouldn't because we are playing. This is what allows us to play in those realms of like ravishment fantasy where you want to touch and do things to your wife you would not normally do. And you need an agreement around that, a container to hold that imagination. So I play this with our daughter all the time. And when we do this in public on playgrounds, all these other kids get engaged because it is so engaging where I am no longer her loving mother. I become the monster and I'm running after her and I'm screaming and I'm growling and I'm grabbing at her ankles. So how do we create these agreements with your lover That says, I'm going to be like this for a little while. You're going to be this way and we're going to create this story together.
1: Because this is a way to access different emotions and different ways of moving your body, different voices, different, just an entirely different experience of yourself and then of the relational space
0: because of that. Well, and under this, remember, under play is safety. And so we can add that charge and go into thrill instead of going into fear. So I'm running, screaming after my child, and she's in thrill, but safe, rather than running from an actual monster or bear. Right? And so how do we do this as adults? How do we thrill one another? How do we play at those high levels? We have to create these containers. And so much of that is the skill of play. Let's play make believe for a while. How do we practice this in our everyday life, maybe for a date night, you say we're not going to talk about the kids, we're not going to talk about the mortgage, like all normal life is suspended. Who do we want to be tonight? How do we want to play? Let's go to a thrift store and buy new outfits. Let's meet at the restaurant instead of driving there together. And when we show up, we show up as fresh human beings. How do we engage this realm of make believe even just for a moment? It's really about experiencing
1: yourself anew and bringing your attention to everything in a fresh way. And that is about play, that is about pleasure, and just experiencing things differently.
0: And I just want to get in here and say life is a story, right? Mm -hmm. We are creating a story every day with our day to day actions. And we have to remember that this is not just imagination, right? I started like, oh, meet your partner and pretend you've never known them meet your partner anew every day. Anyway, meet all of the different people within your partner, meet all of the different stories we contain, like we all contain multitudes. And when we get into a relationship where it's very much I just talked about this last week with Meg John Barker, and it's top of mind right now, how do we create space for new stories within our lives? And get out of the scripts, right? This is where those scripts and the shoulds deny us our sense of play. When we get naked together, this is what is supposed to happen. When we get naked together, this is what's happened in the past. And so, therefore, it's probably what will happen again. And sometimes you need to shake up the story, you need to create a different realm together and you need to create. Okay, so this is where we get into play as creation and how important this is for us as adults play takes the elements of the mundane world. And there's nothing mundane about this world when we really look at it. But play takes the elements of life and asks you what if, how do you want to engage in ways that will give you pleasure. So we talked about that ball, you know, an object play having just a few balls around your house, and being able to roll a ball back and forth between you is a really great way. It's attunement play, right? You're saying here, catch this. And you're throwing it back and forth you're getting into a rhythm together great that's great ways of playing but beyond that like okay i can move a ball we know that as humans how do we move the needle of society itself how do we create a world with more pleasure joy and connection for all of us there is something deeply playful creative and erotic about that the generative nature of eroticism here where we don't just get in beds like the human sexuality does not work where some animals are like this, where it's like insert tab A to tab B, something happens, and they move on, or you leave a huge wake of sperm, something else swims into it, and you've reproduced. That is not us as a species. Our eroticism is one of the biggest places we get to explore and play and generate and create. There are so many ways we can do things with our bodies and our minds and our imaginations to give one another pleasure, joy and connection. Again, these words we keep coming back to, pleasure, just because it feels good. Joy, we are in it together and generating this state for one another. And connection, we are building something between us through doing this. There is something between us, that bond of oxytocin, that generative force field of we have played together and therefore we enjoy each other more. We were just at a pride event our first event out after 16 months in deep quarantine, and there was a giant Jenga tower. And in this whole event, people were dancing, people were drinking, people were talking. But the hub of this event was the Jenga tower and it knocking down and us building it back up. And we met five new friends around the tower. And when I see one of them around town, I'll be like, I played Jenga with you and that's how I remember you. We have a social connection now. And this is where Audre Lorde reminds us that the erotic generates social connection and bonds that help us overcome our differences. So let's do more of that. How do we play more with ourselves, our partners, our families, our communities, and the world itself to create something more beautiful and pleasurable for all of us?
1: That is an exquisite and beautiful way of naming the importance and value of play, both individually and with another person that we are loving and community at large. It is such an opportunity for improv, for creating something new together, and it gives us access to ourselves and our lives in a completely different way Um, when we are looking at opportunities for play and pleasure, when we are grounded in curiosity and we're looking at the world that way it just opens up our own experience of everything
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
1: then when we bring that to sex it helps us get out of performance that is a way that we are not connecting We are trying to do something that we hope is going to give us belonging by following a script and doing it correctly. That's what the world has told us we need to do in order to belong. But it's not true. And we're
0: so used to performing and doing jobs and being evaluated, right? We live in a highly evaluative world. We're always evaluating one another and our behaviors along some imaginary spectrum of status. I digress again. But we're so used to this performative evaluative. We don't realize we're doing it sexually and then we're kind of feeling that disconnect, we're both feeling like, why isn't this as pleasurable and fun and improvisational as it could be? How much of that is because you are performing, or feeling like you are being evaluated? How much of that is because we are not free to move our bodies, right? Remembering that body movement play. If we cannot dance freely? How can we dance naked while sliding things in and out of each other's holes? One of our most uh, popular episodes of this podcast is how to move during sex, because I think so many people need to remember how to let their bodies move in response to pleasure. So we can start that with balls, we can start that with ball sports, we can start that with dancing, we can start with just moving a little bit in response to emotions and expressing ourselves. And then going back to the face, right? We're taking this full loop from fantasy and exploratory play, back to attunement. How do we just look at one another? And instead of a stern, evaluatory scripted gaze, instead, we have a curiosity and a kindness and a responsiveness right this social responsiveness of play I see you you see me let's create a moment of pleasure joy and connection shall we Mm. that's the heart of play how do we do it more often we'd love to hear your thoughts on this we'll have lots of episodes linked up for you at pleasuremechanics.com slash play and if you want to be in touch with us, please enroll in our free online course at pleasuremechanics.com free, and then you will be in direct email touch with us. We love to hear from you and hear about your experiences of play in and out of the bedroom with yourself and the world around you and in relationship and what has excited you, what has motivated you to get more playful. There's so many ways to play, and we will do another episode about really finding your way to play. And how do we know what games we like? How do we know if we want to play chess or rugby? Because a lot of our sense of that might be limiting scripts rather than our internal desires. How do we know how we want to play? We will cover that more. There's more always linked up in the show notes. We are here for you. We love you. And we can't wait to play with you more someday. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure and play.